Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Spoiler Warning Podcast. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a streaming platform near you. Um, this week, we are changing things up. Uh, so this weekend, this past weekend, was originally supposed to be the release date for the film Tenet. Um, obviously, that's not going to happen. Um, we're recording this Monday night, and it was actually announced this morning that uh, Tenet has been put on an indefinite hiatus. Um, so it's mm-hmm. it's done being pushed back two weeks at a time, and it's just no longer on the release calendar. Um, yeah, it's, it's indefinite now. Nice. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we thought, well, you know what? This weekend, this past weekend, 10 years ago, was actually the re- release of the film Inception, um, which is obviously another amazing uh, <laughs> Christopher Nolan uh, film. And we thought, why not go back and rewatch this film and do like sort of an updated review and, uh, you know, kind of see see where this goes. Like, you know, why not, why not do the review that we would have done, which is a big tentpole Chris Nolan film. And, uh, and, then, and then just, you know, have fun talking about it and reminiscing about that experience that we had. Um, so to get started, Stephen, before sitting down to rewatch Inception, where would you have sort of ranked it um, in your mind as far as other releases from Christopher Nolan? Ooh, that is interesting. Uh, definitely high. Um, the thing about Inception, which I realized when I sat down to watch it, is I had not seen it since it was in theaters. I think I watched it like four times in theaters when it came out. And I had never revisited it. Whereas there are other ones like The Dark Knight or The Prestige where they had more rewatches that I gave them before. So I think just by virtue of how well I know them, I think I would have put it below maybe Dark Knight and Prestige. And I would have had to rewatch to know how I feel with it squared against uh, Dunkirk. But it, it would definitely be up there. But I don't think it would have been number one with a bullet for me. It would have been probably like hovering around number three or something. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, you 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 listen back to our our original review, which was uh, episode seventy five of the podcast, which is not currently in the feeds because the feeds don't go back that far. Um, but I think we we had all at the time we recorded it, we might have only had seen it one time at that point in time. I, I, think. I think not only had we only seen it once, but I had just flown back from a foreign country or something. <laughs> and I had watched it after 30 hours without sleep <laughs> and then <laughs> passed out. Like we met at the IMAX, I think in Irvine to watch it. Yeah. And then you drove the rest of the way home and then I passed out and then I woke up and we recorded in the morning. <laughs> so where, where did you, you didn't come from the airport, right? Well, I think I flew into LAX. Okay. Maybe, maybe that is what happened. But then it, it would have been the summer of 2010. Mm, me. <laughs> Maybe it was Alaska. Maybe I had just come back from Alaska. I think that's it, actually. But I, I actually don't know for sure anymore. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, yeah, I, I also saw it about four times in theaters. Um, I dragged other people to see that film because I loved it so much. And I think at the time... It was definitely a thing where I was like, this is the best movie I've seen all year for sure. It ended up being at the top of all of our lists at the end of that year. And I was like, this might be my favorite movie of all time. And uh, I have claimed it as my favorite movie of all time. So not only is it my favorite Christopher Nolan film, it is like my number one with a bullet favorite film of all time. So this Mm -hmm. was definitely the big test, which is can this film hold up 
10 years later with the the current mindset that i'm in uh yeah with the highest bar possible to achieve yeah yeah um so so it was definitely an interesting watch it was almost one of those things where you're like i can never put this disc in again i mean i didn't put a disc in but i owned it in apple tv already so i just went boop 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 and then started playing it yeah. but it was almost like it's almost scary to i mean i felt the same way when i sat down in the theater to watch interstellar where i was like i was like i i don't i don't know if he can keep going like because i i'm a huge fan of christopher nolan which is like i i don't i don't know if this film could even work eventually he has to crack and it turned out he did crack so <laughs> so <laughs> i definitely had that nervousness sitting down to watch inception uh that i did when i sat down to watch interstellar i think i solved why i was so tired i think i had my first big paper deadline and i pulled three consecutive all-nighters um <laughs> <laughs> which is don't do that ever it's a bad idea um yeah. and then i drove rather than go to bed i drove up to davis because my friend and i were driving down and i pulled over i went into the passenger seat and then i passed out and then when i woke up we were in la and i think she like dropped me off at irvine or something and i oh, met yeah. you there <laughs> and then i took you the rest of the way home yeah i think so okay gotcha that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the other fun thing, uh, or I should say interesting thing to talk about with this film is when we recorded episode 75, not only was it 10 years ago, but it was a completely different world. The th we, yeah. three of us, uh, you, myself, and Carson Patrick, were in my bedroom, <laughs> which was yep. the studio at the time. We were all... And it wasn't weird. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't weird. It was all, all of us within six feet of each other in the middle of the summer with no insulation or really any air conditioning at all. And uh, yeah, I just re remember the time when we could see movies in theater and gather in person to talk about them, Stephen. I, I can't even imagine it anymore. <laughs> like no time lag. We, we must have sounded so clever back then. <laughs> it was kind of funny to see like 10 years younger us just raving about a film so incessantly like it, we were extremely yeah. excited to talk about this film it, it was also like we were rubbing our future faces in the fact that we wouldn't have to be remote because at least once in the podcast we agreed to count down three two one together in unison <laughs> <laughs> like, look what you'll never be able to do again <laughs> oh man yeah so i i think i mean this is a 10 year old film <laughs> I think just by the nature of us trying to revisit a film, we're just going to have to call spoilers pretty much all the yeah. way through. Um, yeah, if, we have if, to. If, if you want, or if people want, we can, you know, we can briefly talk about like the comparison of seeing it again and whether or not it still holds up for us, but then we're going to have to immediately go into spoilers. Um, so yeah, rip off the bandaid. It, it's all a spoiler filled. I, I don't think I can talk about it without talking about what the movie means and what it does and how well that holds up yeah true all right uh, well fine uh then it's gonna be all spoilers from here on out um we are going to play the trailer for inception um and then when that trailer ends we're gonna be in full-blown spoilers so uh, watch out because uh you know them spoilers are gonna be coming at you faster than a hans zimmer brahm One thing you should know about me. I specialize in a very specific type of security. Subconscious security. You're talking about dreams. Mr. 
Mr. Cobb has a job offer he would like to discuss with you. What kind of work placement? Not exactly. We create the world of the dream. We bring the subject into that dream, and they fill it with their secrets. Then you break in and steal it. Well, it's not strictly speaking legal. It's called Inception. Already. I think I found a way home. And this last job, that's how I get there. Dreams feel real while we're in them. It's only when we wake up that we realize something is actually strange. This is your responsibility! We are not prepared for this! out of control. You mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. All right. That was the trailer for 2010's Inception. Um, we are in full-blown spoilers now, uh, so technically you don't need a refresher, but I'm going to give it to you anyways. Inception is the story of a man named Cobb, um, and his, uh, his specialty is infiltrating people's subconscious through their dreams. Uh, and it takes place in a world where people can uh, enter and share dream space with each other, and uh, you can work it, you can... Uh, you can go into somebody's mind, steal their most precious thoughts, or as this crew has been tasked to do in this film, you can place a thought into somebody's head, which will germinate and give them their own wholly original thought that came from your mind. Um, so, Stephen Miller, what did you think about Inception? So, to get this out of the way first, th this is still... A totally great movie, right? If we were reviewing this <laughs> in our normal scale, I would give it a must-see. So that idea can go off the table. Like, this is a totally worthy movie. I understand why we were so excited about it at the time it came out. Um, I, I get it. I did have a... L I wasn't quite as blown away by it 10 years later as I was at the time of first watching. And I think there are a few reasons for that. One, it's just You had sleep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had sleep. It wasn't an IMAX theater. There, there's even a moment in our conversation in the review from 10 years ago where I say, this is not a movie I would want to watch like on a TV screen at home. Um, yeah. And, and, and that is true. Like it, it, it does hit a little differently years later when you know the basic premise and you are just watching it on a small screen. Um, I think, so there's a lot that is here that is very imaginative, that is great. And clearly it, it, it set the tone for movies going forward. So it is very hard now to judge it as it, as its own thing, because it like it informed what we believed movies could do, you know, for the, for the next 10 years, we had not, 
we hadn't seen a spectacle like that before. Like I get that Marvel was starting out at this point, but it it wasn't the same thing. We hadn't seen things of this magnitude in theaters. Um, yeah. I think the movie is at its smartest when it is reasoning about the psychology of a dream world and when Nolan is sprinkling in little things about actual human behavior, kind of waking lifestyle, right? Of things that you know about the act of dreaming and how that would inform you if in real life things were being planted in your head. Um, I think it is brilliant in that regard. The visuals hold up perfectly well, as far as I can tell. Like, yeah. It, admittedly it is not as breathtaking just sitting in my living room watching a city fold in on itself you know but i still remember <laughs> how it felt and and i get that same feeling um i do have a couple negatives of sorts that we can get into just to make this interesting right like it, it's not gonna be interesting <laughs> if we're just raving about the movie the whole time one a criticism of nolan that I've had, especially in future movies like Interstellar, is that he gets so fixated on the mechanics of what he is building that that, that puzzle box, that mechanics become more important to him than the story. And here, I think that is there. And also, I don't know that the mechanics are nearly as bulletproof as I felt 10 years ago. So you are going to have to convince me of a lot of things <laughs> that we'll talk about later of ways this movie could have been a whole lot shorter <laughs> really so that that's an interesting i mean i i guess i guess your statement about it it could be shorter includes chopping stuff out or removing no things. i mean like literally their mission could be way shorter if oh. the mechanics were consistent <laughs> oh <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it we'll, we'll talk about it um no i think the movie length is perfect like when i saw the runtime i was like oh god i forgot this is almost three hours but it, it flew by <laughs> like i had no problem watching watching this movie um so that, that is one is i don't know and maybe you will persuade me otherwise over the course of this review i don't know that the mechanics and the, the details of how the different layered dream worlds work hold up as perfectly as I felt they did. And normally I would not nitpick that, except I feel like Nolan is really proud of how well they hold up. I feel like that was like the signature part of this movie. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then the other aspect, which is much more natural to Nolan across the board, is that I don't, I don't think the emotions of this movie work as well as he wants them to. And that is, that's normally true with him. I have like a remove from his characters and what they're going through. And here there are, there are multiple characters going through emotional things on display. Uh, Cobb and his relationship with Maul being the major one. Uh, but then also uh, Killian Murphy, uh, Robert Fisher and his relationship with his father. Both of those are big moments that I didn't really feel invested in the way that I felt like I should have. And again, that might be because this wasn't overwhelming enough. Like maybe when you are overwhelmed, then you feel enough to get hooked. But here I had a little bit of trouble with those two things. So those are the only two categories of my nitpicking for this movie. Otherwise, the the spectacle is incredible. The, the fact that someone came up with a story this layered and complicated and pulled it off is like awe-inspiring. It, it, it's still very, very, very impressive. But I don't think it would rank among one of my very favorite movies today that it would have 10 years ago. And, and that's kind of me, right? That is how we have changed over time is yeah. I've become much more about the like the pathos and like what is the emotional hook that makes me invested in a movie. And the more it starts to layer on clever or superficial things, the harder a time I have staying on board. So I, I, I still think it is wonderful. It's just I have changed and maybe Inception <laughs> hasn't changed with me the way that I would have wanted it to. 
Um, That's my opening salvo. I have way more specific nitpicks after we talk a little bit in general. <laughs> oh yeah, we can totally get into the nit- nit- nitpicks. Um, it's it's interesting. Like I I was I was planning my whole spiel to go into it, and some of your comments overlap it. But I'm gonna flip those on its head. You know, like a city folding in on itself. And I'm gonna address yeah, or a like few- when a, when a van is flipping but not <laughs> executing a kick for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I still stuck with my point before centrifugal, centrifugal force. force. <laughs> um, uh, but but yeah, so so I guess a couple things based on on your points. Um, one is it was it was. <laughs> I, I mean, I I know you clarified your statement from the way I interpreted it, but it's it's funny that you were talking about this film could be shorter because I felt watching this film that it is cut down too much. Um, mm. one of the things that I fa- thought I-, I found really interesting, I mean, cause, cause you know, I-, I saw it a bunch of times in theater. I had watched it once it came out on DVD. I had sat with my room, one of my roommates and like paused it every five minutes to like talk about <laughs> what was going through. Um, it, it was, it was his, that was his, uh, choice, not mine. Um, uh, I would pause it so that he wasn't missing things while he was asking me a question. <laughs> um, yeah. But 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 like I was eating it up the first time I saw it, and the second, like now watching it ten years later, I know everything that is going to happen. So I'm I'm experiencing it instead of trying to digest it in real time. And one of the things that it reminded me of is is it felt to kind of like um, not not story wise, but pace wise, it felt like the last season of Game of Thrones where hmm. there is an arc that Christopher Nolan is telling and there just isn't enough time to go through it all. So some scenes feel very quippy and people are saying just what they need to say and and not have like some of this. It's not that they, not not the dialogue felt stilted at times, um, but like, for instance, when they go in to meet the the guy who mixes the chemicals to help facilitate the dream state and the, the thing. Right. Yeah. Um, Yusuf. Yeah, Yusuf, when, when they go meet him, um, they're like, we're going to need a really strong set, sedative. He's like, ah, two dreams. He's like, no, stronger. Ah, three dreams. And then it's like next scene, right? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's dialogue that is, it's almost like there were much longer sentences. And he's like, oh, I have like a four and a half hour movie. I got to cut this down to a three hour movie. How do I shorten this all down? Right. It, it felt. You want the, the uncut Judd Apatow version? <laughs> yeah. Know how I know you're dreaming? <laughs> I want, I want I wanted to release the Nolan cut of this film. <laughs> yeah. Um and and that's not a complaint. It's just I I realized the pace at what this film is doing and part of that is probably completely intentional. Once they enter the dream state, there is literally a ticking clock that they have there's three ticking clocks that they have to mm-hmm. pay attention to. Um and, and I, so so it it may be intentional how fast that goes, but you know, I I dragged people to the theater to see this film who didn't enjoy a second of this film. And, hmm. you know, watching it now, I can understand how if you're not eating up everything Christopher Nolan is sitting in front of you, you are going to hate the taste of this, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like, if you're not super excited to get into the nitty gritty of the dream world and what he's doing, that's going to be a problem. So that, that was the first thing I noticed is, is just the pacing of this film and how fast it goes and how I could see a much longer version of this film that I would have loved just as much that wouldn't have felt so, uh, so quippy. Um, moving on from there... Um, it's it's even more interesting to me that you bring up the emotional beats of this film because for me, ten years later, when I've I've digested all of the YouTube videos and all of the you know 
internet forums where people were arguing about different things. Like I'm, I'm done processing theories and doing all that stuff and I'm just experiencing. And one of the things that stood out to me is how emotional, emotionally strong I think this film is. I think, wow. and, and, and I will throw this out there right now. I think you get what you carry into this film. It is, it, I, I think it is an act of these things Protection. are there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that there are, that, that these things are there for you to bring in something to it and take it and then, and then extrapolate upon what you're being shown. Because like I said, the, the timing isn't enough for it to rest in every place. But if you think about any of these different scenes, like, so this is the first time that I've watched the film where I'm not paying attention to Christopher Nolan's mind and Cobb, mm-hmm. the character. This is the first time I've watched the film from everyone else's point of view, uh, not the people watching the film, but the other characters in the film. Right, all the characters. Yeah. So, so what are what do Cobb's the effects that Cobb's decisions have on Ariadne, on Arthur, on every like seeing how those people are reacting to the world they've been thrust into. For some reason, when I watched it this time, I watched it in a completely new light. And another thing that 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 was very kind of exciting to me. And the reason why I felt this huge emotional connection is because I was bringing in my feelings about other stuff to this story. Like this is a, a big epic sprawling mind heist film that is like exploring the power of dreams and different levels and all this kind of stuff and all this crazy sci-fi mumbo jumbo, but is, but is also a story of a man who has created a world to live in nightly that is all the regrets he has in his entire life. And every night mm-hmm. he, he doesn't go to sleep. He goes back to those places to relive those moments. And like it, I mean, if, if you bring in conversations that we had when reviewing um, Palm Springs, <laughs> if you bring in, I know, I know you haven't watched all of the Black Mirror stuff, but if you go back to like Black Mirror episodes where they deal with AI of people who may have passed on and stuff like that, there's a lot of, interesting ideas that this film feels like a precursor to which is like just or devs devs is the one that i kept thinking of now yeah yeah devs too like it you like there is a lot happening in this world like Cobb and maul lived together for 50 years trapped in limbo together before the inciting event took place like just thinking about that and and them having to get to the point where he makes the decision to ultimately like incept inception <laughs> um, and cause her to like they both kill each other to try to escape limbo. And they yeah, they, they both kill themselves to try to escape limbo. And then that gets carried forward and she commits suicide in what is theoretically the real world. And um, that causes everything to kind of go into motion. But I mean, just those scenes hit me with like a ton of bricks watching it this time just really thinking about that life they lived together for 50 years or why he felt the need to try to do that to her and how he's regretted all these different things moving forward and like the way Ariadne responds to every dream she shares with Cobb and the fear the genuine fear that she has and and like she she has sympathy for Cobb, but she's also scared to death of him because of what right. he can do to her inadvertently with just his subconscious. And I, I think there's a lot of stuff in this film that just like I was like, man, this is great. <laughs> and I, I even like the, the father stuff at the end, just like Killian Murphy, just sort of watch it because I mean, 
the pieces are all there from the very, very beginning with like him being by his father's side, but his, his father can't even pay attention to himself. Like it, it's, it's all yeah. seated throughout there. And you kind of have to bring what you want to it. But I feel like if you're feeling it in that moment, you feel it good. <laughs> and that's something that I didn't, it's not that I didn't notice it then. Like I, obviously it's, it's, it's more than just subtext in the film. It's a, it's a part of the plot, but I, I didn't hang on that stuff so much. But this time when I'm watching with 10 years behind me and like being in a different state of mind as a person and being in like lockdown, like we're all in our own limbos right now. Right. And I, and I think that just, yeah. it, it set with me so much differently than it did 10 years ago. And it made me enjoy it. I think even more than I did in my mind 10 years ago. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I, I definitely see all that, that I, I had the same experience in that Maybe I once knew this and I locked it away and chose to forget. Um, but <laughs> Cobb is kind of a fucking monster in this movie. Like, of course, he is sympathetic, but he is terrifying. And the decisions he makes are cruel and unforgivable to the rest of his team. Um, and somehow 10 years ago, being so involved in this sci-fi action spectacle, I didn't that didn't clock for me. Like it's so loud in the movie. Like people are mad at him all the time, but I, I just didn't remember that at all. That was not a thing that I'd taken away from the movie the first time. Yeah. I imagined him as being the, the hero leading this crack team to solve this epic case when really, except for him, the stakes for everyone else are not that high. Save for the fact that he has implicated them all in a life or death thing for no reason. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I mean, they're all like, getting a big payout, it, it, right? This is... Right, sure, yeah. yeah. But the, the negative stakes are not high in this, except for what he has chosen to do. And now they are all stuck fixing his psyche along with him, or else they're going to die, <laughs> you yeah. know? Well, to, um, be, to be fair, Arthur didn't do <laughs> enough research to know that, um, <laughs> that uh, Fletcher, is that his name? Fisher. Um, Fisher. Fisher. Uh, he didn't do enough... Uh, research to know that Fisher's mind would be militarized. Um, yeah, so but still, it, I mean, in, in the opening of this movie, then Maul has tried to shoot them or stab them, right? So he knows that even in a non-militarized <laughs> mind, this is going to be a problem. Yeah, yeah, but he also shoots Arthur to to make him wake up. So like, it, like right. in in that case, there there's no there's no problem, right? But that's why he had Ariadne mm -hmm. to build the most complicated maze to hopefully stop Maul from showing up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's why yeah, he keeps screaming, I, I, I can't know the maze. <laughs> so I think, man, I don't want to get to nitpicks about the plot mechanics yet, but I, the emotional arc, it is very important for me to understand a few things, to really understand the Cobb-Mall dynamic in this movie. So first of all, they went to Limbo. They lived for 50 years. And in the end, he realized that the way for them to escape was to die. First, why? Why does that work? Because in no dream level is that... Like, like, okay, in the other dream levels, then you die and wake up. But wouldn't he have tried that immediately when he found out that they were stranded? Like, why not shoot himself? Yeah, so so this is the one thing that is is sort of fuzzy about the story. But it's sort of implied that once you reach unconstructed dream space, you don't understand reality versus dream world. So hmm. you wouldn't kill yourself because you would expect to die like even though they are two dream architects in theory and they're constructing the world by their own making 
they still, there's something about being in limbo that makes you too scared to kill yourself, I guess, <laughs> which is kind of... Because for Ellen Page, that doesn't seem to be true, right? When when they enter limbo at the end, they seem to be fully cognizant of everything. Yeah. Well, it, it depends on how long you're there, right? Like, I, I think the idea sure. is that yeah. you... Because they, they also, by then, I don't... Like, Cobb decides that the way to get out is to kill themselves. I don't think at that point in time he knew that that would work because it's kind of implied in this in in the film that they are some of the early experimenters with um with the dream worlds like like people know of limbo but most of the other people had never experienced limbo before like Cobb's like one of the only people in his crew that that has experienced that before and it and it seems like it's just something that wasn't really not enough was known. So for them, they were sticking around for those 50 years because they were just waiting to wake up. And then yep. he finally was like, we just got to kill ourselves. <laughs> okay, two other limbo questions. One, so everyone shares the same limbo? Uh, well, if you're connected up to the same machine, I, I would assume it's you, you were all in dream space and you just leave the created dreams and go to unconstructed dream space. So I assume... Okay. If you have an IV and that's going to one briefcase, you share the same limbo. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so they've basically been using the same briefcase since her death. Yeah. Okay, the other question. He incepts Maul to make her acknowledge that she needs to kill herself so she can wake up. Why do all that psychological damage instead of just shooting her and shooting yourself if your whole goal <laughs> is for her both of you to die? <laughs> um because the only argument I would have for you is that he once again he didn't know it would for sure work and he needed for her to opt into it because otherwise he's oh, so, just so coercing her. her into saying yes by fucking with her brain is the, <laughs> the way more ethical choice i mean obviously his guilt shows that he doesn't also believe it was ethical right <laughs> mm, yeah. um but but planting that in her head he also that was the first inception right he didn't know that would work so i think he mm. was trying to he had he had gone back to her childhood home and found that she had locked away the idea that the top was fallen over. So he, she had sort of like kept that safe and he had just mm-hmm. tried to change that one little bit and then eventually convinced her to, to, to as a team, kill each other. Um, yeah. Which is kind of funny because he had to construct a train. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> this was this is like a very... To- and and the thing is, all of this comes way after we have seen him nonchalantly point a gun at Arthur and shoot him to make him wake up. So like that that was the the thing I had trouble latching onto with their whole limbo life is I have seen them be very cavalier about. Of course, this is how you wake up, and in that moment, it is such a heavy thing that has to be like decided together, and he has to jump through all these major hoops to make her decide to lay down and go to the train. Yeah. Um, but I get it. Like, I understand the idea that you both start to forget and so you're less comfortable with it and maybe you don't know and so he wants it to be a mutual decision. Yeah. Um, yeah. My my second two nitpicky questions and, and then I'll, I'll turn it back to general discussion. <laughs> um, one, in the plane, 
the the top level, the real world or, you know, real world question mark, epilogue, yeah, yeah. dot, dot, dot. Um, it is a 10 hour flight, but 10 hours is going to be the equivalent of like a week and a half in even the first layer of dream world. And it is clear, it is known to them that they won't survive that long in a militarized area. How, what wakes them up from level one to level zero? Like, I don't, I miss that mechanism. Like, what you is mean, the from, thing from that makes zero it all so, the way back up to level one? Yeah, yeah. What wakes them up to the plane? Because he says they can only go deeper because it's their only choice. And I don't. Oh, get that's, that's that. just the time, the timer. So the, the briefcase itself has a timer. So you set how long you want the dream time to last. Um, right. So like when, uh, when Ariane is doing the testing, um, you know, Cobb is like, oh, yeah, give us four more minutes. And she's like, we've been there for hours or whatever. So it's, it's, it's all about that briefcase will automatically wake people up once the timer runs out. If you do a kick, um, then that will allow you to wake up earlier than the timer. Right. Well, yeah, okay, sure. But the, in this case, Cobb and the crew... Because they talk about, why don't we just wake up, let's bail, when they realize there's the militarized subconscious coming after them. Yeah, and yeah. they realize that death may be permanent. And Cobb says no what we're not going to just sit around here for a week and a half they'll definitely kill us the only solution is to go deeper so he makes it seem like something deeper in the subconscious is going to be the only way they can launch themselves out of level one dreaming and back into the real world and i don't know how that makes any sense i i don't i don't think that is what he means by that i think i think he means the only thing we can do is continue the mission like by them going deeper it gives them more time because like for every second that <laughs> the van is being driven around, they can do a whole shitload of stuff. So at that point, he's like, right. Our, but our at this point, is... I think he's the only one. He's the only one who cares about the mission anymore. Like the rest of them are like, fuck it. I, I just don't want to die forever. You know, yeah, yeah. and the, the more they try to continue on the mission, the way more vulnerable they are to death. Like if they, if, if they were just sitting around in that room, like if there's a timer that says that they are going to wake up, in a not long amount of time, um, you know, in from the van world, they would just stay hold up and wake up. And like, he makes this whole argument about why they can't do that because the subconscious is going to kill them. And it like, I didn't get it. It made it seem like you had to burrow deeper in order to ride the kick. So you could then wake up at the end. Otherwise, why is he talking about the 10 hour flight and how long that is? Like it, the, it seemed so, like either a weird plot hole or like I'm dumb. <laughs> the the, the ten, I think you're I think you're overly emphasizing his words in that sentence because they they definitely did have the option to just get in the van and just drive, um, yeah, and then just try not to die. Um, but then at the end of that, like th that that's totally an option for everybody. They could have all run their own ways too at that point in time. Like they could have been like every man for themselves, um, but essentially Cobb was like well we're gonna die like if you just stay and fight you can easily die so you gotta run but if we run together we can actually finish the mission it's really for him if they land without completing the mission then he gets arrested <laughs> no right he's a selfish prick I get why yeah, he yeah. wants them all to do it um, but also he could just stay in the airport right like he doesn't have to go to customs 
Yeah, that that's true. He could become terminal. <laughs> um, but it, it it just seems like if everyone else wanted to stay alive, like being sedated and having just one guy drive a bunch of sedated people is clearly hurting your chances more than being awake with guns. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm putting way too much stock in what he said. But from that time on, I kept thinking of how do they... I promise you, he says... In dream world, that means we're going to have to wait here like a week before the flight ends. There's no way we're going to survive that long. Like, he makes it seem like there's no external thing that would wake them up by default he, no, from that phase. Yeah, yeah. He, he, so he, he says at this level of sedation, if we die and we don't wake up, we slip into unconstructed dream space. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know the exact line what you're talking about where like uh, we could, i'll drop it in here um uh at this point in time just so that the listeners can know the the full line that is said but i think for 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 easing your mind all you need to be concerned with is he's saying don't kill yourself because you won't wake up <laughs> um, okay i think all right, I think you should rewatch that part and you will see this is after he convinced them not to kill themselves and they say, well, fuck it, mission done. I'm not doing anything else. <laughs> and then he tries to persuade them how that's more dangerous. So you led us into a war zone with no way out. There is a way out, all right? We continue on with the job and we do it as fast as possible and we get out using the kick, just like before. Forget it. If we go any deeper, we just raise the stakes. I am sitting this one out on this level, boys. Fisher Security is surrounding this place as we speak. Ten hours of flight time is a week at this level. That means each and every one of us will be killed. That I can guarantee you. We have no other choice but to continue on and do it as fast as possible. Downwards is the only way forwards. Get ready. You, come on. Let's go shake them up. But we'll see. Anyway, okay. That was my question. So... Yeah, I, I, I can only, I can only say you're probably correct, but I, I would have to rewatch that scene to, to weigh in on it. Um, yeah. Okay. So it, if there is nothing but the external timer allowing them to leave phase one of Dream World, then my, my remaining plot holes are mostly gone. That to me was just a major <laughs> thing where I was like, wait, but what? I get why Cobb is doing this, but why are the rest of them doing this? Like going deeper and deeper and risking getting lost forever and there's such an important thing to do so they can ride the kick and get out in the end. Yeah. And I don't know, I, it, it lost me a little bit and I must've understood it 10 years ago because I was raving about it and I did yeah. not have any problem with it. So, so the only, the only other thing that I would suggest for you, which might be the argument is that, um, the more people you have affecting the reality of the dream world, the more the, um, projections converge on you. So mm -hmm. if everybody else leaves that dream and goes into another dream, you have less of a convergence mm -hmm. on, on the group because they aren't actually present anymore. They can't affect the dream world because mm -hmm. they're unconscious. Um, so that could be the thing. It's like, hey, we could all just get hunted until we all die or we could just leave one man behind and keep burrowing further down. And then his subconscious will have to find those people in a different dream and would theoretically give him more of a chance. If they would have left one guy back with a gun <laughs> and Yusef could drive yeah. while somebody shoots at the back, that would probably be the most helpful thing. <laughs> um, yep. But yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll give it to you. Um, you should say more about your broad feelings because I can keep going deeper. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
<laughs> and we know we don't want to go deep for we want to run away. <laughs> now it's dangerous. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that, you know, what I love about this film in general is, I mean, even those little things like we're disagreeing about right now, um, there are things that you can think, think that there isn't a full attention to detail. But in general, the way that this film is grounded in our experience of dreams everything from from you know the kick uh you know to just the time dilation of dreams like all of that is a very very interesting thing and i i I think that it's amazing to watch this play out and how you can you can take little ideas of what little we know about dreams and extrapolate it out to this whole universe where people for the last several years have been doing dream dives (laughs) and extracting information and it's just it's a really incredible, um, it's an incredible concept and it, it makes you like think a lot about the scenario and what's going on and how does dream stuff work. And even like the architect's job, right? Like, you know, they're going to go into like a CAD program or something or, you know, model up and whatever their architecture software is. Once again, talking about a world that I know nothing about. Um, mm-hmm. But in the, the, the dream constructors, they just imagine it. So, there's no like there's no hard drive for the dream that you created, right? It's not like a you don't save it to a USB drive and plug that into the briefcase and then load it up, right? So it, that means that you have to memorize your entire your entire level that you've created has to be all in your head. And then when you go into the dream world, you're holding that like the whole like it's, it's something you have built and it, I don't yeah. know, there's just there's a lot of really really interesting concepts in this film that make it a a like a full immersion sort of film where you're like you have the visual spectacle you have the really really interesting concepts that you're diving into um and i i I think especially this time around there's some really interesting emotional um beats that it's playing with um and i i just think that it's like one of those films that feels so smart Um, (laughs) and it 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 just tickles all of the things that i love about stories and it feels like a person really thought about this. It wasn't just, I had this elevator pitch for a world where you go into dreams and then I made some action movie. It feels like a film where the action is justified by the story. And um, the, you know, we, we watch a lot of uh, sci-fi films and oftentimes the sci-fi world can feel like one of the mazes created by an architect where there's like, you know, the the Penrose steps or whatever and like d- d- different there's different things where there's there's artificial barriers that let you know that there's nothing past that wall it's just an idea like you know you watch a sci-fi film and they're like oh yeah and then you know this happens and then you're like all right fine clearly you didn't think about the ramifications of that but I'll just I'll call it a day this at least feels whether you agree it makes sense or not it feels like Christopher Nolan has thought this out <laughs> <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think in, in you know, we, we, we both went back and listened to our episode. I think Carson mentioned that it took him eight years to write this or something like that. Yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, it shows because <laughs> this is a very fucking elaborate story. And uh, yeah, it just, it's, it's, it fires on all cylinder, cylinders. And a lot of those cylinders are highly intellectual, like very interesting concepts that just like just floored me when I watched it originally and still hold up to this day. 
Yeah, I think a thing that struck me too, and you hit on this a bit when you talked about the how the emotional arc worked for you in this movie. I think as much as this movie is about dreams, literally, it, it is really about memory, right? Like the most poignant things about this movie are how memory fills in the gaps in your dreams. You know, Cobb yeah. keeps going back to these memories of regret, these times that he wishes he could get back. Uh, Fisher is bringing in memories of his father on his deathbed. Um, it, like everyone is, it, it is really about time and about what what you would do to hold on to the memory of a person. And there's this, uh, I'm going to say the the John Legend song that Cobb quotes to Maul at the end of this movie where he says that he could never imagine all her perfect imperfections or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> where he, where he, you know the song I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but anyway, he, like he gives that... Um, that that speech and it, it is quite beautiful even though i just you know ruined the moment um <laughs> the idea of all of this my memory of you is just a shadow of the real thing you know it's just a husk of the real thing and that that is devs you know that that is all of these movies and shows that are trying to talk about what is the difference between the artifact and the real thing like what what is the difference between the the copy the thing that i keep versus the reality of life and i I did think that was lovely. I, I thought that yeah. was beautiful. I do feel you talk about how smart the movie is. And I think Christopher Nolan's, his greatest strength is also the thing that works on me less and less. The more I become invested in like more pure emotional films, I guess, is that he is smart and he wants you to feel smart by watching his things. I think like Inception is his most successful version of that, where like yeah. everyone left the theater, not just saying, did the top fall over or not, but saying like, oh man, you probably wouldn't get it, but think about it. Like the layer and then the <laughs> second layer and then the third layer. And I did that in our podcast yeah. when I was listening to it again. Like, well, Some my people left the theater and like, said, not like Shutter Island. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Like in, in in my review, I was like, you should watch it. But if you're not someone who wants to think and be challenged and have to think through a thing, you might not like it. And I think I was wrong. Like I, the people you took to the theater, that is the first time I've actually heard someone who did not enjoy the movie. Yeah. For the most part, I feel like what makes Nolan so successful is he makes movies that feel very hard. They feel like you solved a crazy puzzle and no one could have figured it out the way you figured it out. But then he makes hundreds of millions of dollars because everyone feels that way. Yeah. Um, like, like I don't think this is smart in the way that like a Shane Carruth movie is smart where Shane Carruth is really like, I'm just going to make the thing. And if you don't get it, that's fine. You know? Yeah. And, and I think he is willing to alienate people in a way that Nolan doesn't. And occasionally this movie it felt to me like it it was acting just a tiny bit more clever than it was. And maybe it's just because I've had 10 years to think about it now, so yeah. it can't surprise me the way that it did all the time. But that that kind of hit me. Whereas I think a movie like Dunkirk, Dunkirk is more subtle with its, um, you know, Dunkirk has the multiple timelines and the, it has cool gimmicks that it is doing yeah, yeah but it is not drawing attention to them in the same way that nolan did in some of his earlier films interstellar being i think the worst example of him trying to be clever and that's yeah, yeah. not working <laughs> um yeah i also on that note wanted to say that i realized this nolan loves playing with time and like non-linearity of time and time being perceived differently in different places like the different planets on interstellar the dream worlds in inception uh the timing in dunkirk 
all of Memento. Yeah, all of Memento. Um, <laughs> but, like, it, it is interesting how he's learned how to architect these yeah, storylines in a... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, in a way where like multiple dilated times can happen simultaneously. I, yeah. I thought that was really cool. And it I kind of wanted to rewatch Interstellar after watching this just to see how Matthew McConaughey's experience of thinking about the process of aging and what is lost in perceived time versus actual time. Like I feel like it would be interesting to see what Nolan is grappling with over the course of these movies. Yeah, I mean it's. Uh, I mean, since you since you brought up Shank Ruth, uh, Primer was my favorite film of all time before I saw Inception, um, and now it sits mm. just below it. And I, and I think what is different about those two people. I mean, you, I I think you defined Shank Ruth perfectly. Like he has made something which he feels confident is super smart, and he doesn't care to bring you along on that journey. You either get it or you don't. And I think he doesn't even try to tell you some of it. He's just yeah, like, yeah. it's fine. They'll, yeah, yeah. they'll figure it out. Like, like I, I've said before on this podcast, like I watched it three nights in a row the first time I saw it because I was like, I just, I, I need to, I need to revisit this for a while. Um, yeah. But what Christopher Nolan does, I think is if, if you kind of equate um, Shane Cruz and Christopher Nolan to, um, to uh, like magicians, right? Like Shane Cruz is David Copperfield, Right. <laughs> He's just showing you the thing and you're going to go like, oh, how does he do that? Right. Uh, I think Christopher Nolan is Penn and Teller where he yep. is he he is not trying to be like, I hope you're smart enough to un- understand this. He is showing you the trick in some films, literally. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, the Prestige being the <laughs> best example. Yeah. Which is my number four favorite film. <laughs> just to lay all my cards, once again, magic uh, on the table. <laughs> um what is number three? Uh, number three is Jurassic Park. Okay. Um, uh, but um, but yeah, like I, I think he literally is like, he is not trying to outsmart you or make you feel smart for understanding him or make you feel dumb for not understanding you, him. He is like, look at this world I have created. <laughs> now come in and play in it. And, and I, I think mm-hmm. that kind of what is the difference between... Um, uh shit what was the, we we referenced another film earlier that i'm forgetting now but basically like some some films end and they po- oh devs sorry we were talking about devs in devs devs is posing a question to you the viewer and asking you to do all the heavy lifting and do all that stuff nolan is presenting you with his theory on on his mm-hmm. world and you are just you know he's teasing you at the end of the film and allowing for discussion but for the most part i think he made a a full work which doesn't require you to fully interpret it he's giving you his interpretation of the thing and i i think he's not posing a question to you he is just giving you access to his philosophy on what he did yeah so 10 years ago on the podcast, we all in unison said what we believed <laughs> about the ending of the movie. Like, it, b- what is the nature of reality? Is it a dream or is it real? The final layer, I'm going to call them layers from now on, that, yeah. that Cobb wakes up in. And at the time, at least in my head, it was a toss-up. Like, I had a hunch, but I thought, like, good argument could be made for both sides. I don't know about you, but now I feel like there is only one answer to that to that question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is in my mind that it is a dream that he's still in in the end how do you feel like has that changed for you at all so it it has 
Um, I so once again, all cards on the table. Um, I don't even know if you want me to say things I'm about to say. Um, but it also depends on what, if you can take things as gospel or not. Um, but you know, people smarter than me on forums after I had seen this film a few times, uh, talked about, um, Cobb having a secondary projection projected totem, right? Um, so he expresses that he's using Maul's top as his totem now. Like he's, he's co-opted mm -hmm. her totem um, and he's using it, but he also has a secondary totem and that is his wedding ring. When he's in the dream world, mm -hmm. he's wearing a wedding ring. When he's outside of the dream world, he has no wedding ring. Um, at the end of the film, when he wakes up on the plane, he has no wedding ring. Um, so whether or not you want to think of that as definitives, it, it seems to imply that he's actually awake. Secondarily, um, two years ago, Michael Caine was interviewed and, uh, he said when he was first working on the film, he asked Christopher Nolan about when is it a dream and when is it not a dream? And apparently Christopher Nolan told him, if you're in the scene, it's not a dream. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so I, I just feel like the movie itself and, and I am, I, I am a... What, what would the word be? I don't think the artistic intent necessarily matters. So th yeah, yeah. those stories don't bother me. Like th those don't change it. For me, the screenplay is written in such a way that either the world is very fantastical or it has to be a dream world. Like I forgot from watching it before how often quotes are repeated that were said in the real world that are referencing a thing from Cobb's subconscious or from things that only he would know. Um, you know, Saito in particular, like he many times says things to Cobb that will reverberate later about like being an old man filled with regret. Yeah. And I think the train comment comes up a few times. Um, I don't know how to resolve that at all, if not for the idea of this whole top layer being a dream that he's I, in. I think we, I think it's a, I think that is a conversation they have either in the helicopter or on the plane before entering the, the dream world the first time. So I think mm -hmm. that is his one way to communicate with Saito who he is, even though Saito would expect him to be the same age as him. Um, so I don't mm -hmm. think that there's ever a time that that happens. I, 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 sorry. I think that the first time we hear that line is for sure in the real world. And then in, 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 later on, it's repeated in the dream world. Um, mm. But on purpose by characters who were there for the first conversation. Um, oh, okay. I think. Um, if I were to do this, if, if I even could do it, I'd need a guarantee. How do I know you can deliver? You don't. But I can. So, do you want to take a leap of faith? Or become an old man? Filled with regret? Waiting to die alone? But yeah, I, I think for me... Part of the reason why, I mean, ignoring the the ring projection and ignoring Michael Caine's <laughs> like, like quote, um, because who knows what or why Christopher Nolan told him whatever during filming. Yeah, he could have um, lied to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it might have been a thing where he like literally wasn't thinking about every single, single scene. He was just like, oh, you 
are the one character who doesn't have to worry, right? Like that could have been what he was trying yeah. to say. So it's not like Christopher Nolan was sitting next to him and he's like, well, there it is. I didn't want to share, but that's the truth. Um, yeah, like he might not even be talking about the quote reality of the movie and just be like in, in the language of the movie, Michael Caine is not in the dream sequences. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like it, it could just be another case of the Christopher Nolan hates chairs conversation. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> where, where it's like somebody in an interview says something and it gets blown way out of hand. Um, but whatever, that's beyond the point. I, I think for me, where I'm settling, um, I mean, originally I talk about a little bit in episode 75, uh, which was to say that if it is a dream, I think it's because Ariadne created a world for him to remain in to help ease his pain and to like set him free um mm. i and rewatching it this time this time i was thinking that the entire film because there mm. are so many times where like he explains how his top works um he gives her all the information she needs to know about who he is and how he she he literally gives her access to all these dream floors that he created so she has she has yeah. knowledge that nobody else would have um and it's shown that she, or it's I mean, Michael Caine says it, but basically she's she's theoretically a better dream builder than he ever could have been. Um, so he, yeah. he chooses like a uh, protege or whatever that is somebody who could best him in a world. So I, I think that it is possible for her to create a world for him to live out the rest of eternity in. Um, but to make that work, right, like... They have to, oh, he's just really drunk from this flight. Too many champagnes in first class. They would have to like put him in a wheelchair and wheel him off. Like it just, I, I think the logistics of making it be fake. Right. But if it's fake, he could be many, many levels down at that moment, you know? So it might be only a few seconds IRL, but then she would have had to know ahead of time that yeah, that's yeah. what she wanted to do. Yeah. So she would have yeah. to be purposefully doing that the first time. Um, and that kind of never really sat with me. And, and I think that like, because of the emotional stuff, the way it sat with me this time watching the film, I kind of have come down on the part that like Christopher Nolan wants to set him free, right? Like I think that, yeah. I don't think that he would want to um, have Cobb wake up in a dream after he like put everybody else's life in jeopardy and did all that work. Like, he's finally done like he can just like he's and also the, the scene right before you know all that before he goes to see saito he is telling his construction of maul that she's not real like he's killing her again right like he's doing it this time like he has to like <laughs> mansplain her existence to her <laughs> yeah to get rid of her and it, it's it's him finally killing her off He's been holding on to her this entire time and he finally kills her off mm. so that he can leave. And I think that there's a there's a finality to that. And and I think that Christopher Nolan is trying to not redeem him, but forgive him for everything that he did. And it feels thematically appropriate for him to have actually uh completed uh his his whole arc. Like I, I feel like he's done. And I I don't know yeah. if having him still remain in a dream um, makes sense. Yeah. And do you think the kids being dressed and in the exact same pose then in that sense would just be a kind of artistic parallel where he decides to end it the way that 
his memory of them had been. Yeah, I, I, I because think that so. was another tip off that feels very fake to me. Like it, 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 like it looks exactly like his basement memory of what that moment was in a, in a way that felt. Yeah, of course. Like uh, the the reason this might be a meaningless question is Nolan wants it to seem like a question. So of course he's not going to do anything yeah, that yeah. would make it absolutely clear that it isn't a dream. So I, um, I think I I I would argue that that's just thematic. But also I think that if we look at all flashbacks from Cobb's point of view, they're also not uh, they're not realistic visually. Like until mm-hmm. the reveal that they had lived for fifty, like until he tells Maul remember we did grow old together we've seen them young the entire time so like we we know that Cobb has been calling the family and talking to them right so he might have photos of them and maybe yeah um also it's the one thing i don't like is it's not clear how long it's been since maul's death and when he hopped on a plane um so we don't actually know how like is it five years is it three months <laughs> like we don't really know how much time has passed i don't think but yeah i mean because he's it's been long enough for him to become notoriously good at this job that is not legal and he was operating within the law until the death of maul as far as i can tell from the narrative of the movie yeah but i, but I feel like he was already good at that right yeah, but he he just wasn't operating outside of the law, yeah, so he yeah. would have had to like build a team and gain a reputation for himself pretty quickly. Yeah, but I mean, they they also talk about the Charles move, so it's like he had that team before he yeah. was like a bad guy, right? Or not uh, an extra uh, legal <laughs> operative? May, well, maybe. See, I thought the Charles was just how they extract information, and all of the extracting was a like post legal thing that they did. But I'm I, I'm not sure. That, I, I, that is another argument in favor of the it is all a dream is that the then time the movie drops you in the thick of it and there is no clear answer as to where it starts or what their history yeah. is together and i feel like that is on purpose that it flows like a dream you know uh, but part of that is the timing of wait how long has it been i'm i'm wanted by this major corporation that has hitmen all over the world chasing me it, you know, you know, it, it flows as if it could be a dream yeah. the whole time. But well, I, I, <laughs> I will concede that could just be a artistic choice for Nolan to make, and it, it's his decision, so he can fuck with me in either direction, yeah. right? It's his call. There, there, there is one. I, I did watch one video um, on YouTube that I, I don't agree with, um, but somebody has the idea that uh, basically nothing is real once he hit limbo, so that like. So, so yeah. the, 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 the person, I, I don't remember the, the author of the video, but their argument is that Maul was right <laughs> and Cobb yeah. is the one that was delusional. And when she killed herself, she actually freed herself from the dream world. And Cobb has been stuck there for mm-hmm. God knows how long. And that everything that we're watching as, as a film is actually a a um a dream world um the 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 one the one the one visual element which i would say gives like credence to that which i still don't believe because i already stated that i think all of his flashbacks are are not true they're just relative to the story that he's telling is the scene where they wake up after having been stuck in limbo for 50 years there's no briefcase or or wires or anything they just wake up on the Mm -hmm. floor of their apartment 
Um, yeah. So you can make the argument that like they're not hooked up to a machine, so how could they be dream- dreaming? But right, like I said, I, I I think that all of his flashbacks are just him communicating to another person, and he's only sharing the detail that is necessary. It, it's I mean, really solved it. <laughs> um, those are the memories he created in his apartment complex, right? So mm-hmm. he's not he doesn't need if he's remembering the moment they woke up and she felt disconnected from the world, he doesn't need to have built the box and all the wires because for him, that's not important to the moment of yeah. them waking up together. So right. there you go. Yeah, I, I buy that. And to be clear, my it's all a dream theory is exactly that, that all of it, like every every layer we are seeing, yeah. he has not been in the real world ever since he and Maul went to limbo. And, and in that case, then um, Ariadne... And Michael Caine's character, uh, I, I forget his name, the father-in-law, like all of them could be either projections or like people who have gone in to try to help him come out, like have try to help him do what he feels so guilty for doing to Maul yeah. of like realize that, you know, you have to break free from this. So wait, so do you think that they are, that he is asleep and they are entering his dream space? Or or the, or they are just projections of his subconscious. I, I don't know. Either yeah. one would be it. They could be much like what the fake Mister Charles is. You know, yeah. like like they and that would explain why Ariadne. Everything she's saying and doing is so fixated on helping him and what is happening with Maul. You have to let this go. You have to forgive yourself in a way that is very the cinematic good character that she is so like. I know she's also fearful of her own life and she wants to make sure that yeah. he is safe, but the, I don't, I don't know. The, the fact that the whole world seems to revolve around him, people chasing him or people helping him kind of would, would fit that idea that they are all on a mission, either as real people who dove in or as projections to help him come out of this state that he's been in for so long. Yeah. So the real question then is, whose dream is he in originally and if it's his own can he alone go inside of his projections dreams because <laughs> I, I feel like that's where the mm. breakdown is right because how much ram does the human brain contain right <laughs> like that is a great question like I, I i know i know the um you know like in the training scenes of ariadne arthur's telling her that like you know you need to create like you can't you can theoretically create infinitely but you won't be able to create that much world. So you need to build mazes to to keep somebody trapped in. I feel like the complexity of the maze required to have somebody think they're in a dream within a dream, within a dream, within a dream. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's too much complexity for himself to box himself into. Yeah. But the, I, I mean, this comes back to the mechanics of shared dreaming that I haven't understood yet is in the beginning of the movie, whose dream it is is very important you know whose dream it is is what what is filling in all the details like the big reveal when saito wakes out of wakes up out of the second layer of his first dream is that it isn't his dream that he's in anymore it is the architect's dream that he's in and then you know things start rumbling and he realizes he's lost control yeah the fact that Cobb becomes a big counterexample because he has projections no matter what dream he is in. Yeah. Like he is sharing a dream with someone else and Maul comes roaring through the dream, you know? Um, and I don't, I, I don't totally understand the 
level of power that each person has based on whether they are the ones dreaming or not. Like, I know the one dreaming has more projections, like the world is filled with them, but it seems like other people can influence it too. And in a dream within a dream, there's no reality to me hooking you up to a sedative and going deeper. Like that is purely an idea in the top level brain, right? So to me, it is all the same, no matter how many people are in there. It's still one brain imagining all these layers. But then the architect has architected all these levels. So there's some way to perpetuate the little briefcase with the architecture of the next dream layer. I, I don't know. It, it It doesn't quite make perfect sense to me within the dream world, what it means to architect a thing. Yeah. Unless like the briefcase just has parallel dreams and like there's a hack that lets you just like jump into another one and it isn't like you're really going deeper. You're just going, I don't know. Yeah, it, that's the weird thing I, too. I, the more I think about it, the the less it all totally holds together for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that you are getting into very murky territory because so when the, when the first dream that world they enter is Yusef's dream because he... Uh, he drank and that makes it rain, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. He had too many free yeah. champagnes before they went under. And then he, he is controlling that top level. Then they go into, is it Fletcher's? No, Fletcher's has got to be the third one, right? Um, I think I, yeah, Fletcher is definitely the third one because Fletcher thinks that he's going into Tom Berenger's Browning, yeah, I think yeah. is the guy's name. Yeah, yeah. But he isn't. That is actually Tom Hardy, but like he actually hooks up to himself. Um, that intermediate dream, I don't know whose that is, actually. I don't... I have no idea. Like, they get hooked up in the van, but I didn't see anything that suggests that it's one person's for yeah. another's. But... Fletcher's subconscious, though, is throughout all the layers, right? Yeah. And and that is another thing that I I don't get is if it was Yusef's dream, the first layer, why would Fletcher's subconscious be militarized and be after them? Then they might be. I feel like they're all Fletcher. Yeah, they're they're in Fletcher. And I think Yusef having... Yeah, like I interpreted use of drinking being that like he has to pee the moment they get in the dream or something <laughs> and, and then they're late to getting into the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm trying to like he caused they, they state that he's caused it to rain. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think every layer is Fletcher. Um, that That is my understanding of it. Okay. Yeah, because the, the first dream has to be Fletcher. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think all of them have to, to explain the militarized subconsciousness. But then again, if I am in one person's dream and then I go into another person's, I guess the subconscious is both of them down there. But yeah, I mean, I guess, hard. They're, and then they're Marianne Cotillard is just like roaring through all of them. Yeah. Like, is, she, is she just violating whatever logic there is <laughs> as to whose dream is whose? Well, because cause Cobb is a trained architect which is why he can affect the dream world. But he's doing it accidentally. Oh, a trained architect. <laughs> <laughs> uh steven <laughs> uh okay so another uh, basically whenever limbo is involved i feel like the logic of the movie s- s- doesn't make as much sense to me anymore and again normally i don't care about logic but 
one of the things I loved about Inception was the consistency of its logic. So like that, it, this is me going against character to care more about this. Yeah. yeah. Um, Fletcher is shot by Maul in Dream Level 3. And they decide what they do is dive in and bring him back from Limbo and then use the defibrillator. And then that combination will make him be fine. Like, will make him be not dead in the Dream Level anymore. That, like, there are two options here. One is that you get out of limbo by just killing yourself and then you're instantly fine again, in which case the defibrillator wouldn't need to happen. And also it it would mean that the risk of this movie goes away for everyone but Cobb because like there would be this known hack that basically means death within the dream is not that big a deal. Um or maybe it's a timing thing where you need the outside kick plus the inside. You need a thing in the dream world that would give you a chance to wake up and then your internal self needs to have been rescued so you're prepared for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that That's basically... It, it, just, it all feels murky to me. And it, to your point about the movie needing more time, I don't feel like it justifies that any of the characters would know that this is the case. They didn't even know Limbo existed until like 30 minutes earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, But it is treated as if it's like, oh yeah, sure, get in there and kick him off the balcony and then we'll be fine. Um, <laughs> well, so, so. And I, I, I just feel like that hurts the emotional consistency of the movie because I suddenly don't understand what the characters are going through anymore. Like, is it a risk of decades and decades of living there? Is it about just like going and killing yourself and coming back? Is it a defibrillator that magically makes people not have bullet holes in them anymore? Like it, that part got lost to me a little bit. Yeah. So I think the idea is that if you die, whether, whether or not you go to limbo, like basically if you die and you're this heavily sedated, you drop down to limbo when you're in limbo, Mm -hmm. If you kill yourself, your like consciousness ceases until the timer goes off, right? But mm. the kick allows you to bypass the timer. So the idea is they can resuscitate him. Like basically they're like, don't resuscitate him now. His his mind's mush. He's not coming back. Like, but they needed him to come back to open up the vault to go find the message so that the inception will actually work. So they're basically saying like if we go into him now, we have a week of time to to find him and get ready, and then you just resuscitate him. And if we see the kick, which is the lightning in space because it's a defibrillator, then we can kill ourselves and we can get mm-hmm. our way back up. Um, so that is the one thing that's weird is because Cobb has a line where he says something like, "You'll just need to find his own kick down here." And she kicks yeah. him off the ledge. Yeah, I, yeah, like it's just it's suicide. I, I, <laughs> I, I like I, I watching it this time. I was like, I don't think you you can't fall in the dream and go up a level. That doesn't make sense. So yeah, it must well, have like, been. That was where I started questioning so because I, I think I it was, was like, literally. Is it falling in the dream? Because in my dreams, if I'm falling in a dream, then yeah, I wake up. But that. Yeah, yeah. So, everything else is about falling in the level above yeah, yeah. being so the I, thing that wakes I, you I up. I think the kicking off the ledge was to kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's kind of what, the way I try to rationalize it is 
she jumps off she kicks him off and then she jumps off and he's like i'm not going to kill myself i'm going to skip this this kick because i am waiting for um to find saito so i think i think that's mm-hmm. what the deal is there okay so the so the defibrillator is just a signal like the music and everything else for them it's, it just tells them it's time it's yeah but but i think well i think it's that and it's literally resuscitating him so he is mm. back alive but the process of like killing him down below allows him to wake up in that moment if that makes sense so like most of the time people would just be dead dead but then this happens to revive their consciousness at the right moment to allow them to be healed yeah yeah so i I think because like he was basically dying but he could be resuscitated but his consciousness wouldn't come back from limbo so they had to go to limbo kill him there so he's not bound by limbo and then when they resuscitate him he gets ripped back up yeah okay um (laughs) how much do people remember the dream later because it feels like the the extractors remember everything right like they have no trouble recollecting what happened but a lot of their ploy the difficulty of inception hinges on this idea that for the dreamer all of this is very hazy and in order to plant an idea you have to burrow it really deep for it to be an authentic idea yeah but if the person if killian murphy remembers this dream there'd be many ways to plant an idea like you would just be manipulating the person you'd be like the whole journey you're taking them through would be changing their mind and i I had trouble understanding that like i it it feels like at once the dream world is pure subconscious there is no actual like ego or anything in there it is just like you're in the idea of a person um like the you know one of those amazing adventures where the school bus shrinks and you're like inside the person's like veins and brain or whatever yeah but then there's another sense of which killian murphy is just one of many people who are experiencing this and he remembers from the different levels what he's supposed to do so shouldn't he when he wakes up in the plane remember all the shit that just went down And he would have way more baggage than just that little idea of his dad wanting him to go a different route. But that's but that's the thing is he yeah that's so it's always they're always diving into him, and he has faint recollection of what happened mm-hmm. in between all those things, but he doesn't have full awareness of it. That's why the first thing yeah. they do is make him pick a number, and then the second thing they right. do is feed that number back to him. Uh, and then they give him something to open with that number. So it's by the time he's doing that opening, he is actually using something he generated in the first place as the combination, which makes him believe the thing that's in there. Um, yeah, it's like the scene in Focus where, where they trick the guy <laughs> yeah. into betting on the exact right team member. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So is the, is the theory that the person whose dream you are in they are more susceptible or just that they are more practiced than he is like they're prepared for the idea of this being a dream so they will recall better than than he will 
Well, the person who is who they're diving into, they are generating a dream for them, right? So they are mm -hmm. perceiving everything like as a reaction to what's being presented to them. The people who were the divers created that world and are carrying out a plan that they knew before they started carrying it out, right? So they have a more strict memory because they're acting, not reacting. Yeah. But like Saito seems to remember pretty much everything from that first spelunking expedition they do in this movie. Um, by his own um, words, I think he half remembers. <laughs> okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. I take it back. I take it back. <laughs> that wasn't an actual argument, but it is his, <laughs> it is his line. Someone from a half remembered yeah. dream. <laughs> okay. Um, one thing that I thought was funny revisiting the the review from 10 years ago is this time around when I watched it, the first thing I thought of is, oh man, I want to compare this to Synecdoche, New York. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I listened to the podcast from 10 years ago and within like three minutes, I've said that already. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is true. I, I do think this is like Nolan pulling a Charlie Kaufman. It, it's like Synecdoche, New York and Eternal Sunshine and about... Um, visually representing the idea of the uh the multitudes that everyone possesses right like the the layers of infinity that your mind has within it and i i, I do think that is successful like i i feel like a lot of these scenes actually feel like jim carrey and kate winslet running through memory yeah. right like, like it, it feels a lot like that especially whenever maul or projections of his kids start to appear yeah um it, it does have that kind of emotional logic that I liked a lot. Yeah. I, I did have that same moment, by the way, when I was listening yeah. back to the review and I was like, I was like, it sounds like I'm describing Vanilla Sky. <laughs> and then I referenced Vanilla <laughs> Sky like a second later. <sighs> it's good that we've like remained consistent over all those years. Yeah, I, I would have believed I've changed a lot in 10 years, but apparently I haven't. <laughs> um, okay, so biggest problem i had with this movie on the plane shortly before going under um when Cobb is kind of uh getting fisher ready to be sedated the trick he pulls is so he strikes up a conversation with him because he has his id um and then starts talking about his father and then he orders two glasses of ice water and then they toast his father and do a sip and go, ah. <laughs> no one in the history of humanity <laughs> has ordered ice water from an airplane and taken a tiny little sip and gone like a bracing sip and gone, ah, to toast their dead father. <laughs> like, I feel like Nolan forgot that that is an alcohol. I don't remember them going, ah. <laughs> no, like Killian Murphy takes a sip that's like, like like the like the like the tiniest little, I don't know. I, I I feel like you don't toast the dead with water. Like that's not a thing you do. You know, you at least get like apple. Like I don't know. You get something that <laughs> you isn't water. At least get apple juice. <laughs> yeah, like Martinelli's. Yeah, you know, like festive. It's something that could be alcoholic if you let it sit. Like long a church enough. party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The ice water threw me out. Why don't they just have champagne? It would, it would it'd be so much easier. Well, I mean, Cobb doesn't want champagne because he's got to keep his mind ready. And uh, yeah, that's true. You know, <laughs> Fisher's just cheap. <laughs>
he's getting ready to dissolve his father's company, right? He can't uh <laughs> he can't waste any of that money. Yeah. That's true, but he doesn't know it yet. He he thinks he's just going to keep carrying out his father's uh presumed wishes of keeping this guy. I also wonder how much money these companies are worth because Saito it, it's a great throwaway gag when he buys the airline for the sake of the plan. Yeah. But but that's like a really expensive plan now. <laughs> that, that starts to feel like maybe worth well more than just a small chance of this plan being successful. But, but think about it though. This is this is a Hail Mary pass, right? Basically Saito says if he doesn't dissolve the company, my company is through. So even if that was every last cent the company had to buy that airline, if it succeeds, then the company still exists, right? <laughs> so I, I think I think that uh, um, is, I think that's fine. <laughs> okay. I take it back. <laughs> it's fine. Um, yeah, just one, let's say one thing. Uh, yeah, just, just uh, since we've been talking about complaints, I just want to get back in the line with some of the things that I really, really liked about this film. Um, you know, I talked about the different things that were smart ideas. I, I still, one of my favorite things about this is just the idea that in your dreams, your subconscious, not, not, just the, not just the projections, but your subconscious manifests its own secrets within things that are secret saving devices. So love it, that. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have a safe, you have a vault, all these things that just by placing that object there, your subconscious will move the thing you're most scared to be taken into that space on its own is just a, a really smart idea. Um, it's kind of like, uh, it's a, it's a subconscious manifest manifestation of your own tell, um, which is just like a really, yeah, it's like a Rorschach test almost. Yeah. It's like a thing where you fill in the blanks with whatever was already on your mind. Yeah. yeah. I, I just think that's like a, a brilliant, um, you know, just, a, it's, 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 it's a really, really awesome idea. And I think that it's, it's obviously used in every single instance of what the story is trying to do. Um, but it's just cool. Yeah cool little thing that it's it's doing yeah no i i do think that is really clever and it's kind of the thing is what i remembered being impressed with 10 years ago was how monumental the film is how many layers it keeps track of how it's like a well-oiled machine and i still believe that like the different timelines the the bus flipping turning into the hallway fight sequence that like it, it's beautiful like it, it's amazing that it all works yeah. but at the end of the day i do think it is the core observations about psychology and what dream life is like those are the things that hit me a lot harder now that all of the technical bravado is kind of old hat like just in a sense that i knew it already like nothing could impress me because i remember it <laughs> yeah, from yeah. 10 years ago um and yeah i did I did enjoy all of that quite a bit. I will also say, I think the, if we're ranking dream levels, I think level two with the hallway fight is like by far the coolest. Um, that That is definitely what I'm into. Level three, I'm not that in, into it. The the snowy, I, I don't, like I don't know what Leonardo DiCaprio and Ellen Page, what their job is in that level. Because it seems very important that they stand up there with binoculars and not do anything. Well, it's, <laughs> but it's, I, I don't it's, know what their plan is. It's to keep Cobb out of that building. Because oh, okay, if yeah. he goes in there, Maul can get in there. Um, and she, Well, why does he even go in then? 
Um, I mean, he has to. to the by the uh, oh, you mean just going down at all? Yeah, don't go down. Then Maul can't get in there. <laughs> you solved it, Steven. <laughs> there you go. I told you it could have been a shorter movie. I mean, if it wasn't for him, nobody else would have gone down to the second level, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I think he's the he's the brains of the outfit. <laughs> and the yeah, okay. and the mall. Love it. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna make a Darth Maul joke, but I did ten years ago apparently. There's nothing new. <laughs> I, I do want to say everyone is real good in this movie. Yeah. Like, I forgot Tom Hardy was even in this movie, but he's so delightful as the forger. Like that was a, I completely forgot about the whole forgery idea oh, yeah. in this movie. And that was great to revisit. I was really into it. Uh, Marianne Cotillard kills it as Maul too. JGL obviously is great. Like it's a great cast and they all pull their own weight. Like it, it is pretty solid. I love the use too of the transitioning in and out of his forgeries. Um, it's it's played with in a really really interesting way because it's not just cut back and forth and he's changed it's sometimes there'll be multiple reflections in one shot and in just one of the panels of a mirror he'll be himself or the other character or like when he um when he comes into the elevator as the girl right before the charles bit starts um as the woman um he he enters the elevator and it's got like the the two mirrors on either side of the elevator, so you get the infinity reflections, and it's like the fourth reflection yep. where it's just Tom Hardy like looking at him like, "Nice try, buddy." <laughs> yeah, that was that was fun. Yeah, that, that was some good. Um, it, it just has some good like Mission Impossible fun too, of like the masks that let you impersonate anybody. <laughs> like it, it's cool. I'm I'm into it. Yeah. Any last thoughts on this film, Stephen? Um, there's one thing that hopefully we make into a drop, which was Carson said in our original episode. And it's a movie that it's going to stand the test of time. It's not going to be like in 10 years. Oh, remember that movie Inception? Like people are still going to remember this film and talk about it and, you know, observe it and pick it apart. I mean, it's a movie that it, it's, 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 it's a modern masterpiece, really. They're going to, it's going to be around for a while. It's not... It's not some movie that people are just going to forget. I do think, even though it hasn't, it hasn't quite kept the cultural capital that I expected it to. Like, it doesn't come up frequently as a reference in other things. Like the, everyone talked about, "Ooh, I incepted you so much!" Like in the first year after the movie came out, I think they all like decided we're just not going to do that anymore. <laughs> um, but I do think this movie it impacted culture in a pretty major way. And I think you can trace a lot of other movies back to it. And that is why it felt so familiar to revisit even now. And so I do think it has stood the test of time, even if maybe it isn't top of mind in the way that I would have imagined when I was 21 years old, having my mind blown (laughs) by it for the first time. Yeah. I I think if you, if you bring it up with people, I think most people have fond memories of watching it the first time and maybe the only time they've ever watched it. I, I do feel like the only yeah. time I hear it referenced um, outside of, you know, articles being posted about it being the 10 year anniversary is like every once in a while I'll encounter somebody and the, somebody else will mention that we do a film podcast. They're like, oh, yeah, what are your top favorite films? <laughs> and then I'll say Inception. Yeah. And they're like, that's a good one. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I do have one more question for you. Um, I was potentially going to use this yeah. as banter at the top of the episode, but I figured... I figured where we went was fine. 
So, Stephen, to put you on the spot, if this, if the world of this film was real and a thing that we could actually go into, what would you pick as a totem? Because I, while watching this film, came up with the best foolproof totem that I could even say out loud, and it wouldn't allow people to necessarily get it because there'd be some variation in it. Because no one's ever seen it. Uh, your penis. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> hmm. What would my penis do? <laughs> How do I know? I don't know. Spins. <laughs> um. Yeah. What would my totem be? I feel like it, w- it would have to be a an object that I I know well enough in real life that I can like manipulate it in a very specific way yeah. that other people couldn't do. Um. I don't know. This is hard being put on the spot. I now like I'm living in limbo now where I don't go anywhere. So I don't <laughs> use anything. Yeah. Your, your totem is, are you inside or are you outside? If you're outside, it's a dream. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you mine um, just to give you yeah. like, I've, I, I feel like we might've, I, 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 the clip I sent to you was just the actual review and the spoilers. I don't know if we talked about totems before that clip that I, that I had sent you. Um, to to re-listen to, um, but I was thinking that an amazing totem would be a recorded audio file saying this is reality, and I throw it on the server for the podcast, and only I know the file name, so I don't even carry the totem on me. But if I'm in a dream, I can pull out a phone, hit that URL, and play that audio file. And if the audio file doesn't exist, it's definitely a dream because there's no way that any architect is going to know that I recorded this special file and put it on a server of a thousand files. Um, boom. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. The internet, <laughs> the internet is a good one. <laughs> I guess just any like public key encryption <laughs> would probably solve it. True. <laughs> can, can I log into one password? <laughs> that would actually be pretty funny. <laughs> you're like oh there's an entry and there's one password called limbo <laughs> that is the thing is that the totems are projections right like we we talked about this 10 years ago yeah yeah your, your idea is that the totem is a projection it is a thing that you have trained to do a certain way and only you know that way and therefore if real life normally it's that the, the real life is the thing that doesn't behave like your totem ought to. Like, you train it to behave one way, and then real life will violate it. But anything where your subconscious is able to project will do the thing, right? Like, the top spinning forever, that is the projection. And the real life, the top falling, that's just gravity, right? Yeah. That's just, like, the way the world actually works. So Cobb using Maul's totem, the top, is the one thing that makes you have to either rethink the rule or not. Because in general the idea like Arthur has a loaded die. So in theory, if you were an architect, you'd have a one out of six chance of fooling him because the die can only do one thing. Or I think that the thing that I brought up in our episode was like, if you had a two headed quarter and if it was a projection, then in, in, in the dream world, it could still come up tails, even though it's a two headed quarter. But if somebody knew you carried a two headed quarter, they would generate a two-headed quarter in their world and it wouldn't behave the right way. Yeah. So it, it, 
it's in theory you should be able to create it in a like if, if based on the principle the way it's explained in the film not trying to extrapolate explaining the top like if the top didn't exist the way it should work is you physically make a thing in the real world that does something special that nobody could replicate in a fake dream because they wouldn't know what it's supposed to really do. Um, so maybe your cell phone... But can't... Isn't the whole point of extraction, though, that your subconscious will fill in things beyond what the architect made? I mean, extraction is you literally breaking in to the same No, no, right. I just mean extraction works because the person who is dreaming, even if you architect the world, the dreamer puts things in it yeah like they put information they put details so why i I don't totally get why the totems like if you had a a secret loaded die or if you had a waveform or whatever on the internet wouldn't you just project that if you believe it to be real and then it would work the way you think it would work. We'll see. Like, like th- this is where the shared dreaming. I don't quite understand the rules of who controls what. Yeah. So if if you go back to um, the opening scenes of the film or the opening dream manipulation of the film, the carpet acts as a totem. So Saito mm-hmm. falls on the carpet and realizes it's made of polyester instead of wool, um, and that's what breaks the illusion. The yeah. totem is supposed to work that way. So you expect one outcome, and because the creator of your dream didn't know what that outcome was supposed to be, they make it the wrong way. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you have a boba tea, and it's the different type of globs instead of the <laughs> the stuff you usually So does get. that mean most of the time, like, most of the time the totem wouldn't even be there in your pocket because the creator wouldn't have thought of it? In theory, yeah, but but the, mm. the but the point is that if it is there and it doesn't behave the way you recognize, then something's fucked up. So right. the fact that Cobb uses the the uh, Mall's totem and everybody knows what it does is a problem because yeah. anybody could make one that falls right. <laughs> Like mm-hmm. if I knew you carried a top and it was supposed to spin forever, spin forever, I I either don't know that and I would make it fall because a top falls, or I would know that and I would still make it fall because I'm trying to trick you, right? Like it. Well, yeah, that, that's why I think ten years ago you tried to convince me that the top is actually a projection of him, and much like uh, Fisher has trained his subconscious to be militarized. Uh, Cobb has trained his subconscious to always make top spin infinitely. Yeah, yeah. And so it isn't the absence of a tell. It is the presence of that uh, supernatural thing that tells him he is in a dream because only in a dream could his subconscious exert any control over how things work. Yeah. So in that case, it would be like the opposite of the carpet. It would be like flying it'd be like a superpower it's like a little thing that exists only because you are dreaming that couldn't exist in the real world yeah and 10 years ago i was i came up with that solution to rationalize away a thing i did not understand and i still don't understand it so it's kind of like that's my gun to my head how do i explain this away um and that's what i would come up with but the carpet is an example of a accidental totem right It, it 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 is an example of how 
your expectation versus reality is where there was a change. This doesn't match the drapes. <laughs> All right, have a good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my time. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. It, it is a lot like the light switch in Waking Life. I'm kind of surprised we didn't mention that in our original review because it feels like a major touch point for me to that idea of like, how would you tell if you're waking or dreaming? Yeah. And the answer for us most of the time is uh, we wouldn't. <laughs> yep. Um, we can also look for uh, how we arrived at where we are. Because in dreams, yeah. you just start in the middle. You don't, you don't know how you got there. That is like most days for me now. <laughs> or I guess I know. Probably that wouldn't work anymore because in every dream you just assume you woke up in bed and then walked to the living room, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. All right. Should we uh, put a nail in this coffin? <laughs> yeah. All right. Time to put Inception to bed for another 10 years and then we'll come back and do a, an equally incoherent episode where we just kind of talk about whatever comes to mind can we commit to doing a 10-year review of interstellar too i just want to know if i still have problems with it or if like i wind up liking it more (laughs) i i am almost scared to watch it again because i might like be like oh my god love is the only thing that transcends time and space (laughs) (laughs) um We got four years. Like, I do think if I watched it again, the visuals would overwhelm me and the... Because I only saw that the one time. Yeah. And I do think I was more annoyed by feeling like it wanted to be clever in a way that maybe wouldn't bother me that much now with time and with my expectations different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's do it in four years. (laughs) It'll be fun. I can't believe... In our review, I don't think we made any jokes about, like, Matthew McConaughey saying, like, that's the thing about these planets. <laughs> My daughter keeps getting older and I stay the same age. <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> Good times. To another ten years. Yep. <laughs> Hey, I think I think we're about the exact same length we got on that <laughs> that clip I sent last time. Yeah, I know we did. Well, I I felt pressure to perform. I'm I'm glad I'm glad we pulled off the time. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been fun. If you made it through this bonus episode, thank you for listening. Um, and uh, yeah, we will see you next time. Yep. Bye. Bye.